an ideal world for me is uh, a world of harmony. I don't really like the term balance because I think balance denotes to equality. Um, and I am a equalitarian. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up if it's not equalitarian. You know, write that down. <laughs> um, but I think uh, a world in which everybody is living in harmony and we accept people's truth for what they are. Um, we don't project our insecurities or fears on other people. Uh, we truly accept and honor people for where they are in life. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like that's really, I'm very like, I guess I like could say very utopian with it, but it's utopian is balance. And I really don't believe in balance. I believe in harmony. Um, so I think when I think of the world, I, just, I really just want to see harmony. Um, I've never even been like, oh my God, like I'm in tech and I'm black. So I want black people to conquer. Like conquer is a very patriarchal masculine word that's built in power, you know? And so like, I just want to create equality. I just want to see a world in which everybody's respected and, and, and viewed and accepted for who they are. I'm Kimberly Drew, and you're listening to Your Attention Please, a Hulu podcast with iHeartRadio. Today, I'm joined by Idris Sandu. When Idris was a child, he started teaching himself programming languages. By the time he was 13 years old, he was already shadowing an engineer at Google. Since then, he's put in a lot of work to become the architectural technologist he is today. I first got to learn about Idris's work through a mutual friend named Noor Taguri. Noor is an incredible interviewer and knows so much and loves so hard of everyone in her universe. And learning about Idris's vision, his passion through Noor's eyes made me fall in love with his work as well. He works as an interlocutor between technologists, challenging algorithms and thinking about these really like quite confusing things and is able to take that language and make it super accessible to future generations and not just make it accessible, but give people the tools and empower them to make their own infrastructures for the future. I'm so excited to sit down with Idris today to learn more about his inception and what his hopes are for the future. So if he could have your attention, please, our guest today, Idris Sandu. Did you talk about the ways in which creativity, art, design inform the work that you do on a day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's we've uh, encountered so many different uh, terms, you know, that some we've, uh, you know, uh, used to define the work we do and some others just pick it up. Like we've heard like architectural technologists, we've heard architect, we've heard designer, we've heard software programmer. There's like so many different things. Right. And I think really what connects all of that at the end of the day, no matter what embodiment or what definition of a uh, of skill set or whatever people want to embody my work in is the connection to empathy and technology. Like that's my main goal. Like when I like think about just like things in the future of technology we create, or like you think about like, man, like if you, if somebody asks you like, you know, if, if you win any award ever, like what do you want it to be? And I think about like being able to like have a Pulitzer for like, connection between technology and empathy you know what I mean like using technology to bring people together rather than keep them apart and being a kid from Compton being a kid that grew up in Harbor City I realized that like growing up education itself was a classist system in that 
you know, kids in lower income communities weren't learning things that other communities were learning. Um, and that was very evident for me growing up and hearing people like, like even to this day, it's like, oh, wow, you started programming when you were 13. Like that's an anomaly in the black culture, but you go to other cultures, like that's not an anomaly. Like kids learn how to play piano at six, at seven. They learn how to code at 10. You know what I mean? It's like, so really just understanding that, um, like for me, my work is to expose people to all the necessary information and form equal opportunities for them to create what others can. How do we create technologies that wow people every single time, even though we grew up in a world where technology is abundant, right? I mean, that's the human connection to, and that's the empathy, right? It's like when you create or you program with empathy in mind, um, there's a higher chance of being able to directly connect with the user. I want to, of course, talk about the video that you made as part of your attention, please. In the video, we see these incredible moments of interaction for you, right? Where you have the moment where you're in the library and you meet the Google exec. And then you also, in equal measure, talk about meeting Nipsey and talk about the importance of like, it's not this, you know, there's so many ways in which I'm sure your story is misinterpreted. I wonder if you could talk about collaboration in your process and about timing. Yeah. I think like, you know, you, you hear like the term like opportunity meeting preparation. And I mean, even Nipsey says that in a song. Um, but I think really opportunity, preparation and skill level all coming together um, have always assisted me personally in my work. Because um, there's I see people that like have amazing opportunities that they're not prepared for. So mm-hmm. opportunity meeting, not preparation. Um, but for me, like everything that I do I make sure that I put myself in environments where like, I'm not going to go sit down with that person unless I know that I'm ready for that. Mm -hmm. Because like, even in conversation, you can be on the same wavelength and mention something and now you want to like go create something with somebody. Um, But yeah, I think my message is like, even in the video I was talking about like how one person that helped me was white. One person that helped me was black, literally a yin and yang, but those people approaching me in the same fashion seeing the same light um, I think that's the message that I, I want to convey most to people that like, <clears throat> you know, it's like, what is color? Color is subjective. You know, we might live in a monochrome world. It's like, you know, like when we look at other planets and we claim that there's no life there, what what is life? What is the definition of what is real and what is fake? You know what I mean? So like there's so many different things. And I think for humanity, our sanity is dependent on subjectivity, right? So it's like, our sanity is in God help me or God loves me or the universe loves me or the universe is on my side. No, the universe is in favor of good. And if you happen to be on the side of good, then the universe will assist you. It's not about you. You know what I mean? It's like, so when I think about my work, I also put myself in the same position, even though I'm creating these technologies, even though we're empowering the culture, it's really like, I'm just one person working on the Great Wall of China. You notice it's like we're just one person to inspire the next generation to, to, to continue on. Can you talk a bit about preparation and how to stay prepared? Because I can only imagine how many things are at all times dragging you in different directions. How do you stay prepared? Um, I think, um, you know, with me, uh, you know, I've always been an avid reader like always an avid reader. And I tell like so many young kids, you know, like to 
appreciate and understand the power of knowledge, you know, and like Einstein said, like, yeah, you know, the knowledge is one of the most powerful forms of power, but the second part of that is also applied knowledge, applying that knowledge you learn. Cause there's so many people that are like so intelligent and so like profound with their message, but they don't apply it. They just like, you know, just keep it. And some people are meant to be wise enough to only say it, but not execute it. So they can inspire the next person to execute it. Right. Um, those are like the oracles. And I think, um, you know, in relation to like the question you just asked, um, yeah, I'm always prepared because I'm always constantly reading. There's never a room or a situation that I don't learn. I'm constantly learning new ways of code. I'm constantly learning ways to optimize databases or optimize, you know, uh, polygon accounts. When I'm like developing, I'm always thinking about optim optimization. Um, and sometimes that means not only just learning, but unlearning, mm -hmm. you know? And I think like really just staying 10 toes down, knowing that like, you know, you can never learn too much and really just understanding that like, the things that you learn or the things that you won't learn will greatly uh, shape and inform your thinking and the way that you're able to impact and move in the world. I love that phrase, 10 toes down. It's like yeah. my favorite <laughs> phrase right now because yeah. I feel like it's this incredible thing, especially in the realm of what it means to be um, you know, a marginalized person in this world that's demanding so much of us to be 10 toes down, to be grounded, to have as clear a vision from your vantage point as possible, I think is like the greatest form of resistance in some ways. I wonder if you could talk about the pacing of the work that you're doing, right? So you've been working for some time, you've been rigorous in your pursuit of knowledge and information. I wonder if you ever wish that there were things that moved faster or slower for you. Pacing is one of the things that you learn naturally um, about, you know, even now, like not we have so many opportunities coming to us and everyone wanting to work with us, but realizing what's right, right? Quality over quantity. Um, so with pacing, if you would ask me that question two years ago, I'd be like, yeah, no, I want to do everything. And there's not people tell me, you know, uh, you should slow down. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. What if I want to juggle 10 different things at the same time? My mind works that way. And now I'm realizing like, no, you do need to pace yourself. And um, you need to really realize that, you know, you shouldn't wait to be like Warren Buffett multi-billionaire to say, you know, like, oh, you have a lot of meetings in a day. I have only one to two meetings a day because I value my time. And I think that's where I'm also now realizing that like, it's okay to be young and be very scarce and particular with your time. You know, you don't have to have this mentality of like, I have the whole world or I have the whole time. I have all the time, you know, and in recent events and people we've lost recently mm -hmm. is a testament to that, that, you know, it could change at any time. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk about what I'm sure is an obsession that you have with infrastructure. Yeah. Like growing up in Compton, growing up in Harbor City, um, I think about, it's like, if you're African, people like assume like, oh, you know, you have like riches and everything when you go back to Africa. And it's like, you know, my grandfather was an architect that built one of the largest hydroelectric dams in Sub-Saharan Africa. But we didn't really have, I don't have it to this, like this in current day, I don't have any assets or anything that was passed down. Like we as a community, whether black or African, we don't have the luxury of having generational wealth. You know what I mean? We don't even have like heirlooms. Like we don't have pendants that our grandparents, like very few of us do. So infrastructure is very important to own and not just rent. And it's been something that, I've always grown up with, but now I'm in a position to actually like create it and realizing that like 
I have five sisters, like I have a whole community, you know, that I want to assist and I need to create avenues for them to understand the power of ownership. And I think about like people like Pac, people like, you know, Dr. King, people like people I, I really respect. And one thing was missing. They gave us political power. They gave us, you know, like buying power, but that economic power is what was missing, right? It's like, if we wanted to like, let's just say as a community, we wanted to boycott the system. It's like, we don't own banks. We hardly own any gas stations and that, it's like, but systematically it's been designed. Whenever we've tried to create, you think of like Black Wall Street, you know, it's like anytime we've tried to create, it's been taken away. And for me, um, that moment where I realized like infrastructure was key was watching you know, the Apple uh, iPhone keynote in 2007, literally the first iPhone, the first iPhone, Steve Jobs like got on and he was like, you know, I think it was on like the four, four minute mark. And he's like, and we've created something revolutionary. And, you know, like Alan Kay, who's a very, you know, uh, popular in the tech community. He had this quote where he was like, um, to build great software, you need to build your own hardware. And that quote is what inspired the creation of the iPhone. So like for me, I think about with all the technologies I create, I'm like, are these things codependent on something that I don't own? And really understanding that generational wealth lies in those assets. So it's like, you know, buying land in Ghana, you know, like, you know, establishing businesses and making sure that we're creating like a parent company and then sub companies under that. Understanding that like, it's like, you don't have to, you can, you can do it at any age. You can do it at any time because my priorities really are to understand that to make a huge impact on the community and the culture, I need to be in a position of ownership. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work. It's like, how do you, because like, you know, it's like operating systems on your phone are like constitutions of the United States, you know? And it's like, if we think about like how many, you know, how many, uh, I'm asking you a question, like how many, um, <laughs> iOS versions do we have? What what are we on currently? We're on I have no idea. We're on iOS thirteen, right? So there was like you know iOS one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, they they had and different they had like point this, they had point, 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 point yeah, right? Yeah. So you think about the Constitution of the United States. If the Constitution of the United States is an operating system, how many times have we amended it? Right. Not that many times. You know what I mean? It's like you ratify laws, you amend them, blah blah. blah. But if like if the system is built to assist a specific group and a demographic. Will it ever be good? Because you're amending a system that's inherently broken. Mm. You know what I mean? So like that's the mentality that I uh, deploy for everything. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to build, if I want to impact in city infrastructure, well, I need to create the technology. I need to create the hardware. Um, Because these kids that are growing up now that are now 13, 14, even younger, they're going to want to go into a world and they're going to have some of the best ideas and they need platforms that were designed for them. Right. And it's interesting on this note about infrastructure and ownership, because I think when I think about the work that you're doing and why I find it to be so impressive is that you are really invested in building the systems. And I think we're caught up in this moment, especially in media where people are really invested in getting credit Mm -hmm. more so than owning things, right? Like Mm -hmm. you see people pushing back about Fortnite, you know, the TikTok, like it's incredible to know this young woman who created the renegade dance, but also it'd be so dope if she made the app, you know? If she made the app, you know? And I think that's the thing. And that's why, I'm realizing like 
you know, I'm 22 now. And in like eight years, I'm going to be put into like the OG category, right? You already like, in the OG category, nah. though. You've been, you have a, like more than a decade of work. Yeah, but you know, just culturally. like yeah. You're oh, going to get you old know. too. Get ready. Yeah, right. Like, you know, go talk to OG. And <laughs> I think like when that time happens, you know, when like the youth, no matter how fly you, you dress, then they're eventually going to like push you out. They're yeah. like, oh yeah, you ain't youthful no more. You Stop outmoded. using that word. Yeah, yeah, you outmoded. <laughs> Stop using that word. But when I think about when that happens and like I start to see like the first signs of like the gray hair, I want to be able to like have that platform to where it's like kids are like, oh, I created this new thing. Okay. Like, oh, you know, like OG created like a platform for you to be able to distribute that. Like, creating like a I don't want to say the music industry because the music industry is like real crazy but creating like being like an A&R but for tech yeah like Professor Xavier putting like that thing on and finding mm-hmm. all the mutants um that's really where I want to be because it's so important and you're absolutely right it's like what is credit what does right. credit mean right and we're seeing like with like the NAACP awards and we're seeing things with like the Grammys it ain't about the credit no more, you know, yeah. because we, you know, it's it's really about like cutting us in, in terms of ownership too. Cause it's like, if I'm getting credit from a super biased platform that wasn't built for me, like, where does that get me? You know, it's like, all right, now I got, cause credit means validation. Right. That's literally another word for validation. But when we remove that need from validation and need for cosign, then we realize like our real true power, you know, and like, I think having like black media companies and having black like apps and having like things like this that elevate the community. And I even think that's step one, like that's just to get people interested. And so I think like now more than ever, we need to uh, empower people to not just seek for credit, not just like, you know, like the analogy is, you know, no more waiting for a seat at the table. Right. If you get to the table and there's no seat, bring your own. Right. I mean, also, you know, when you were speaking, I was thinking, of course, of our high priestess, Solange Knowles. She has that incredible tweet that's like, be the gold you want to hold. Be the gold you want to hold. That's energy. That's where we have to be at. It's not about these like false moments of, you know, this is what you've been wanting and now we're giving it to you. Or even the conversation around, like I get so wrapped up in the conversation around reparations because I'm like, I don't want to continue to be indebted. You know, and of course, like these are things that are owned to people mm-hmm. who came before us. But I'm also like, I'm going to wait in line for you to dole this thing out and you retain this level of privilege. Yeah. Like, that's whack. I mean, I think the thing is like, you know, what I've been learning in the last like three years is the importance of ownership and business. Right. It's like you can be a creative, you can have ideas, all of that, but you need to be a business person. You need to be branded as a creative CEO. For me, I have every major tech company wanting me to come in and consult or work or do something, but being like, all right, if I work with you, one, I'm an owner. I own my code. I own everything. Um, and, and two, it needs to be something for social impact. I'm, I have no concern. I mean, I've like, I have no concern to make another algorithm or make an, make, you know, another app or whatever to assist a system that wasn't built for me. You know what I mean? So I think like now more than ever, it's so important that we own and we really understand that like ownership really means nothing if you're not coming back to your community and making other owners or showing people that it's possible. It's like Hove said, it's like, you know, if you're rich and you and the people around you aren't, are you really rich? Right. You know what I mean? Are you really, and I should say wealthy. Um, or I think about like, you know, 
like Ye has this line where he's like, who's the real owner if your boss gets a salary? You know what I mean? And it's like thinking about, oh, wow, in most cases, does your boss, would you, you have to think about this. And somebody said this to me the other day. I'm not going to mention who they were, but like a really well-known person told me that they, they were like, think about this. Your boss will never want you to have a house living right next to him. Mm. You know what I mean? And that just shows like, it's time to own now. And we, this generation is the highest generation. That's like, I'm gonna work for myself. Right. And da, da, da. But it's just so interesting um, that, you know, I think what's most needed right now is people learning how to code, learning how to use technology, learning how technology actually works and coming back and working with cultural influencers and movers of culture um, and shakers of culture to create platforms. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what things you think young people should be researching or what type of like environments they should find themselves in. I'm sure that all the time, like if you do public conversations, parents come up and they're like, this is my little oh, baby. Yeah. What am I, what should I do? What kind of programs do I put them in? Like what, what sort of advice or uh, direction would you point young people who are following it's your so path? It's so crazy. Cause like, and I wish I could like, you know, I think about like this, uh, this slum village selfish line where he's like, I wish my hands were big enough so I could hug y'all all at the same time. I feel, yeah. I'll be feeling that way about like, just parents that come up to me and my kid is a programmer. I wish I could teach all of them. You know? <laughs> um, but I think exposure, it all comes down to exposure. Um, we have uh, ethos, you know, has a Instagram page um, called exposure underscore OS um, where we post books um, and we cover everything from design to mental health to nature and so many different things. And, and starting next month. Um, so pretty much tomorrow we're going to be having a uh, public figures, um, basically record videos and expose like people to, you know, their favorite books. Mm -hmm. I saw that like, on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to be like really, really cool. But, um, yeah, exposure. Um, I think that's the most important thing in, 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 um, giving our youth, especially black youth, the opportunity to grow, um, as well as explore, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I think historically, just from a protection standpoint, like the idea of allowing your child to explore and be them, be them and discover is very daunting. It's very like anxiety, you know, triggering. Um, but I think like, wow, like if my mom had never allowed me to explore, if my mom had never trusted my instincts and, you know, like I would have never been allowed to go to the library and meet a Google engineer. Or if I had not wanted to discover and expose myself to new information, I would have never went to the library. Um, so yeah, one, I think allowing children to explore and, and, and be dependent and cause they'll come back to you when they need something. And I, you know, as, as we know that about children, they think they have everything figured out. Then you come back like, mom or dad, I can't <laughs> figure this out. Um, so trusting their intuition. And I think it's also really important that we utilize, um, the, the notion that, you know, we have a huge, it's not something we deserve. It's something that we're privileged to have. And that's, access to all information in the instant in real time. You know what I mean? It's like, if you ask me right now, like, you know, like how old is JaVel McGee? And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> but I could find out. Yeah. And previous generation didn't have that. Like that's a, that's a virtue. That is a blessing that like you can literally Google anything and pretty much find your answer to it. Um, and you can use that information for the good or the bad. Yeah, it feels like a very simple question, but I think it's one that begs asking. I have so many friends right now who are like, you know what? 
forget all this. Like I'm getting off the grid. I don't want to be involved in technology. I want to like go and live on a farm and, you know, raise cows. Why is it so important for us as a people at large, and then also more specifically for marginalized people to learn more about technology? I think about like technology and seeing a company like Bird scale to a $1.5 billion business in less than two years. Like tech is that freedom that we've really been looking for. You hear about like the freedom papers, this is the real freedom paper. And if we learn how to use it and how to create it, this is economic empowerment. This is it. This is the only generation where I can sit at home, literally, and and I've done this, (laughs) sit at home, come up with an idea, program it, deliver an app, and make money from it. All, All while being at home. The only, the only pro- part I probably had to leave was to go present the app, you know, to, to the whatever client. Coding is available to everybody. It's like, you know, in most cases, I can go home, I can learn how to program, to fix. And that's the thing with code. You don't have to learn everything. In fact, you can never learn everything. And any developer or any coder that tells you that they know every programming language, know the ends out, everything is lying to you. There has never been an opportunity to be financially independent as the now. This is the part of the show where we hand it over to our Hulu subscribers. They've had the chance to watch your segment on Your Attention, Please, now streaming on Hulu, and have come up with some questions of their own. We have our first question from Danica from Washington. What advice do you have for someone who's been in a creative rut for a long time? Danica has changed jobs and finds herself working, taking classes, being a full-time mom and wife. And yes, we all may have the same hours in the day, but her office isn't quite the traditional space. She wonders if you have any advice for staying motivated. That's like one of those questions where I feel like I'm not qualified to answer because it's like, you know, this is like a woman that's like, a wife and a mother. And I, those are things that like, I just haven't like experienced. So just continue to have that perseverance to want to explore your creativity. And I feel like it will come to you. Our next question is from Yolanda from Florida. What did you do when people told you no, or that you couldn't do something? I think when people um, tell me no, or that I can't do something, I respect their truth. When I hear no, I'm just like, okay, cool, you know, and just carry on and execute. Uh, I'm, I don't have doubt. Um, that's something I've never struggled with, you know, and I think like, you know, if you're doing something and you're not either really loved or really hated, you're not doing enough. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, I never really let that affect me. Um, I accept people's truth for what they are, understanding that we all see life differently. And I'm not interested in convincing people to see, you know, life the way that I think it should be. It's more so just how I see life. And as an artist, here's my painting. If you don't like it, cool. You know what I mean? If you like it, you could buy it and hang it at the house. I want to end today with space for you to say whatever has been on your mind. What is exciting that's coming up for you right now? I think what's like really exciting right now is this new company, we just started called Spatial Labs and we're working on some really cool volumetric 
um, real-time volumetrics applications. And I think it's a new frontier. Um, you know, it's like you learn about a computer and in school they teach you that you need, there's a, essentially, I'm going I'm to say four um, different uh, things that are needed for a computer to function, right? So you have the CPU, the central processing unit. You have the GPU, the graphic, uh, the graphics processing unit. You have uh, your input device and your output device. So your input will be your keyboard and your mouse. And you have your output, which is like your speakers. But I think the greatest input and output device is the human body. So I've always been interested in creating technology in which you didn't have to translate things that you feel or how you touch or how you hear through something, right? So like I'm making music. What if I didn't have to use the audio interface and I didn't have to use an MPC and a piano? What if I could just share? What if my body was the instrument? You know what I mean? So I think what's really been keeping me excited is building infrastructure around human motion and creating a programming language for human motion. And that's what Spatial Labs is about. Um, it's an immersive visual studio founded last year and um, really excited to show the world the things that we create this year with with this technology because um, it's really like like I said before my goal is to connect people like you are in itself the conduit when you use this technology it's influenced by you it responds to how your body how, how your body looks how your body uh, works so yeah that's part of what I'm excited for Spatial Labs and all the volumetric stuff we're going to be doing in the audio, sensory, haptic, and uh, visual space. Love. So excited. I will say going into today's conversation, I was thrilled to meet the person behind the legend. I was so excited to sit down with Idris, but what I didn't anticipate was his continued commitment to empowering others. It's one thing to say, I want to own, I want to excel, I want to maybe seek out power. But there is this way in which he's able to resist some of the most tantalizing things about power. He's really interested in investing and imbuing a sense of purpose in others. That was really refreshing to say the least, especially being 22 years old and thinking in this way. Um, in a world that's so shiny and demands us to be really competitive, we have an example in Idris of being just more collaborative and more expansive in the ways in which we think about connecting to each other. Oftentimes when, especially for marginalized people, when we reach a point of success, it's so much about how did you get here and why are you staying here? And there isn't always opportunity to talk about these real personal driving forces and how those driving forces help us to better imagine a future that doesn't exist yet. So much of today's dialogue was really about pushing beyond our own imaginations and really thinking in a grounded way about the impact that can be had when we have a people first mindset. I think what was really interesting in being able to finally share IRL space instead of URL space with Idris was just his incredible, I don't even want to say it's softness because it's so much more dynamic than softness, but there is a way that he holds himself in space that I wish I could teach to other young men and other young people, period, not to put a gender on it, but there is a, a grace, let's say grace in the way that Idris moves in space that I think could be really informative, especially when thinking about the business world, especially when thinking about 
being asked to step up and take charge, there's a grace and and smoothness um, to every one of Idris's kind of articulations in real space that I want a masterclass on. I have tried to learn how to program, both in a classroom and on my own. Uh, I will never forget spending the entirety of Hurricane Sandy in New York trying to learn how to code on my own and being deeply intimidated by the process. I don't know if I have the courage to get back in there with, with coding, but I definitely left today's conversation feeling like there was an open door that I don't know if I've ever been presented with. That's all for today, but we'll be back next Friday with another episode. Until then, don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop. Your attention, please. <laughs>